All right, and on that note, we're going to dismiss Kidmo as there's a hush in the room. Kidmo, you are free to go. And your leaders don't know what to make of that, huh? It was an M3. Yeah, you're going to you're going home in one today, aren't you? Hopefully it won't look like that one. All right, so we're starting a new series today. And I'll be, I'll be very upfront with you. For some of you, this is going to be a very difficult series. Uh, for me, this is going to be a very needed series as a church community for us to talk through a few things. But we're also going to be addressing what the world will say is none of our business. And many of you may even believe that it's none of our business. And so this could be a struggle. However, what I hope that we'll do over these next five weeks is begin a conversation about what does it look like to be in true relationship with each other? And what does it look like to truly help someone at a time of their life when they need it? Because many in our culture would say our lives are our business and it truly is nobody else's. I've had times in my life when I've had friends come up to me and they would give me some kind of advice. Y'all ever have this? They'll give me some kind of advice and sometimes it's good advice and sometimes it's not good advice. Anytime that their advice has something to do with a failure that I have in my life, I have never received with a smile on my face. Anybody else? For some of you, you're thinking, I don't even know how that feels. Because we can surround ourselves in a culture that doesn't have anything to do with each other. And instead, we just get into our little cocoons of life and we say, let me live my life my way. You live your life your way. And let's just kind of keep things separate. But the truth is, there have been times in my life when I have been confronted with things I need to address. And had they not done it, I would have continued in an unhealthy either behavior or mindset that I needed someone to help me correct. So the question I want to begin with is simply this. Have you ever had a friend that told you something that made you question your friendship, but in the end you knew they were right? And if you've never had that, I pray you will have that kind of friend in your life. Because those will become the most precious relationships that you ever have for some of you that answer that question yeah i've had that i mean just let me just ask you this and i would appreciate some feedback when someone that comes and they say something you question your friendship but you know that they're right how does that make you feel anybody just throw some words or phrases mad annoyed Depends on who it is. Have they proven something to you before that? That's a good point. Yeah, they have a big log sticking out of their eye. That's a good point. What else? How does it make you feel? Humiliated? What? Embarrassed? Suspicious? Those are all great words and phrases that are are all very applicable. There's something in us that makes us want to walk through life always doing it right. Am I right? We like to be right. I like to be right. Ask my wife. I like to be right. I can talk myself into being right, even when I'm wrong, given enough time and given enough creativity. You know what I'm saying? 
We, we, we like being right. Now, my kids, you cannot agree to that. My, my wife can. We, we like to be right. We don't like to be corrected. We like to go about life believing that we have everything under control and that we know exactly what we're doing and that our lives are often enviable that others would want our lives as well. For someone to get in our face and say, whoa, 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 you're about to head off a cliff. Sometimes can make us very angry and suspicious and humiliated. But it also can give us a lifeline to moving forward in a healthier life. So we're going to be going through several different things. And and what I'm going to try to do today is just lay the groundwork for what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. I'm just going to try to give you an overview. I'm just going to kind of break the tension and move into the topic. But I want you to hang in with us for the rest of this series because I'm telling you, we cannot be a church without understanding these concepts. We can be a gathering. We can come together and hold events, but we cannot be a church if we do not embrace the ideas that we're about to share with you. And for some of you that you are a part of Journey because Journey is a place that accepts anybody wherever they are in life, that has not changed. However, what we need to make sure that we don't do is stop there and not talk about where can we take somebody in life. When we stop at the place that we're just going to be accepting of everything and everyone, that we are also going to be accepting of people who are on the path of destruction And it's just like the guy who pulls over and goes, hey, watch that guy go over a cliff. That's who we become. And you probably already gathered that's not a true friend. Anybody that watches you walk a destructive path and never tries to intervene is not a true friend. That's where you will come eventually when you see this. So let me just propose this. It's on the screen. We are responsible, not just to, but for each other. We are responsible for each other. Now, we immediately put some people in that category very easily. I put the people closest to me in that category very easily. I put family in that category very easily. I put those long-term relationships that have walked with me through difficult times of life in that category very easily, I give some people that I give them the freedom to speak into my life while others, I may be a little hesitant until maybe you either proven or maybe I have learned the wisdom that you share. But if we're going to be a church, we need to be at some level embrace what the Bible says is true. And that is, if we know Christ, we are a family. Our relationships with each other go beyond acquaintances. It goes beyond, yeah, I got a church with them, which is kind of a cultural phrase. I got a church with them. That is not the true biblical idea of what the church is. I got a church with them. The idea of true biblical church is we are in community. We are a family together. And it's very easy to walk through life apart. But if we do that, we miss one of the greatest opportunities that we have in order to love and care for each other. So where does this idea of brother's keeper come from? Do we truly have responsibility for each other? In Genesis chapter 4, we read about the story of Cain and Abel. 
And we read a conversation about a conversation that God has. And it goes like this. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And from that verse, those grouping of verses, that's where we get this phrase, my brother's keeper. And the world believes exactly as Cain believes, hey, they're not, you're not my responsibility. Not my problem. Well, I'm not going to keep up with them. Of course, we know his goal was to avoid guilt. The mindset is the same. It is the way of the world. It is the way the world lives. It is the way the world works. And if we want to be just like the world, we can live and work the exact same way. I'll take care of me. My responsibility is what I want. What I want to see happen. The truth is, even for those that have committed to follow Jesus, this is incredibly hard, is it not? Following Jesus does not come naturally. Anybody that says, oh, following Jesus is easy. It comes naturally. I just do it. I mean, I don't even have to think about it. There's nobody on the face of the planet that knows Jesus that believes that. Because there's nothing in us that makes us love God save Jesus. So following him, it's not natural. It's not something that you just flip a switch and all of a sudden you're a pro at it. Something that you grow in, you learn more, you go farther. In fact, it may be the most unnatural thing you will ever do. Because it requires the supernatural to embed into our lives before we can ever truly begin to know who Jesus is. That's one of the greatest promises we have that we have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come naturally. It's very unnatural. It can be a very difficult thing if we set out to live a perfect, holy life. Matthew 7 talks about it like this. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, also do to them. This is the golden rule. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is, what's the word? Hard, hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So as we enter into this conversation together, we have to recognize that walking through the narrow gate and staying on the path beyond the narrow gate is not, excuse me, is not easily navigated. And what I've learned is that in many ways, it takes a whole community to help someone walk that path. There's not one person who does it perfectly. There's not one person who can say, hey, here's your three-step plan to stay on this path. Here's your map. Because remember, this is so unnatural. We will naturally just navigate to the wide way because it's easy. It's the way of the world. It's the way the world does stuff. But one of the things that we're going to have to address as we walk through this is already on the minds of every person in this room, and it is this one question. Should you judge me? 
Because this is where this conversation always goes and most of the time ends. We live in a world that says it is not our role to judge. And I will tell you that if you want to walk through life following Jesus, saying I'm never going to judge, you're not following Jesus. It's impossible. Not only is it impossible to do, you're not fulfilling the teachings of Jesus and the apostles themselves. And so this idea, and the world loves this, and the world jumps on this, and the world talks about this, and the world celebrates people who never say anything. Oh, they're such a good Christian. Because they never judge. Well, that's not what Scripture would say. Scripture would never validate that idea. Now, we all have an example where someone has done this poorly, right? Has anyone been judged in a very negative, terrible, harsh way? Anybody? A couple of you in here, maybe? Yeah? Maybe all of us. The reason that this has begun to switch in the way the culture addresses Christians is because Christians have also felt the sting when somebody goes and looks and says, oh, look at you, how you've messed up. Hey, everybody, come watch. Look at this. Because that's how we typically understand judging others. Look at what they've gotten themselves into. Look at what they're doing. Hey, take this out. And so we've been on the receiving end of a very harsh, a very hurtful, judgmental attitude And so we have, instead of addressing what is true, we do what we always do. We swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and say, well, we just won't judge at all. We just won't judge at all. Parents, can you parent your children without judging your children? Well, maybe on some level, we don't expect our kids to be just like us. I mean, I hope they won't be just like me. You know what I'm saying? We can... Hope that they'll be their own individual, that God will do unique things in their lives, and that their uniqueness will be nurtured in us and our parenting. So we don't want to judge in the sense of, hey, that's not how I would do it, so don't ever do it a different way. But you cannot parent a child without judging their behaviors and holding them accountable to those behaviors. You cannot do it. For every parent who's tried to do that is a child who's gone away they never wish their child had gone. You cannot do that without judging your children in some way. God cannot guide us in our own walk with him if he's not judging us along the way to say, stop. And for some of us that have embraced the idea of grace, which I am one, just because we have escaped the final judgment that leads to hell does not mean that we're not going to experience his gaze of judgment along the way to keep us into the path. He originally created us for. You see, there's a way of judgment that leads to hell, right? There is certainly a way of judgment that leads to destruction. There is certainly one that's hurtful, one that demeans, one that pushes people down, one that leaves people in their mistakes. But there is a way of judgment that leads to hell. We have to choose which way we'll go. But ultimately, we must judge at some point in our lives. That gate is narrow. The way is hard. We don't point out the failures of others so that they can stay and we revel in their failures. But yet we hold them accountable so that they can continue to move forward in a healthy way of life. Lots of issues we're going to go over these next few weeks. It's so difficult to put this down into one sermon. It's so difficult to put this down into one series. This is the part of living life and growing in Christ and beginning to learn and grow in wisdom and discernment 
This is an area that maturity is so valuable for and a lack of maturity is so destructive in. It's so important for us to embrace the idea that you are your brother's keeper. Look around the room. You're responsible for the people around the room with you. They're responsible for you. If you love them and they love you. See, it's easy to leave a person to their own lifestyles and their own choices. It's easy to do that when we really don't care a thing about them, right? I don't care about you. Go ahead, do whatever. But we would never do that for someone we truly love. And so you and I are faced at a time in our current culture, in our current world, we are faced with a time, is nothing new, but we are feeling it maybe more than we have in the past, that we are encouraged to turn a blind eye for those leading destructive lives, all for the sake of freedom and individuality. But that is not the way that the scriptures talk about our lives with each other. Let's keep going. We are responsible for helping each other stay on this path through the narrow gate. So completely go in the, mind, in the face of everything everyone tells you because the culture says, just like our video says, let me live my life. Anything is acceptable as long as I am okay with it and you shouldn't judge. But the Bible says we have a responsibility to help those who are being tripped up. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit. Who? You who what? Live by the Spirit. Right away we've got a qualification for how we handle someone who's tripped up. You who live by the Spirit. Right away we're talking about people who have experienced a level of maturity in walking with the Holy Spirit, hearing the Holy Spirit, understanding the grace they've received, being willing to give the grace to others, but yet rightly seeing destructive paths in people's lives. So right away as we begin this, you who live by the Spirit should do what? You should tear them down quickly, right? Is that what it says? What does it say? Restore them. How? Gently. See, every discussion of holding others accountable begins with restoration. The purpose of all true judgment is restoration, not punishment. The purpose of Pointing out the faults that we have is restoration, not damaging people. But the reason that you and I, we resist this idea is because we have been damaged and we are so scared sometimes that we're going to damage somebody else. The goal is restoration. The goal is health. The goal is moving towards something that's better. Restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will do what? Carrying each other's burdens actually fulfills the law of Christ. Yet how can we carry each other's burdens if we turn a blind eye to what those burdens are? See, there, at some point, we have to come to the place to say, yes, there are lots of gray areas in life, but there is a healthy way and an unhealthy way. There's only one person who can dictate what is healthy, and it's not me. There's only one person who can say, this is the way a person should go. 
and it's not me. And it's not you. That one person is God. God's the creator. God is the sustainer. God is the savior. God is the one who works all things according to his will and not mine. No matter how many times I try to convince him otherwise. God's the only way he can determine what's healthy. What we can do is say, God has said this is healthy. Therefore, let's move in the healthy path, right? How many in here want to be unhealthy? Anybody? Of course not. Sometimes my diet calls me a liar in this area of my life, right? How many of us want to be unhealthy? None of us do. But here is where things become so damaging in a world that says, leave me alone to what I want is we have convinced ourselves that what is unhealthy is, in fact, healthy for me. Don't try to convince me otherwise. What? Because it's easier. And don't try to convince me otherwise. This is, this is good. I'm good. Are you sure you're good? I'm great. Even though I'm in, the, in bouts of depression every other day. I'm great. See, freedom is wonderful as a concept. Yet freedom from health is a nightmare. And many of the times, I would even say most of the times maybe, most of the times freedom that is exercised is exercised in an unhealthy way because we want that freedom to completely revolve around our own personal desires. And as we've seen over these last few weeks, if we're going to worship, if we're going to follow the will that God has for our lives, we have to at some level say, my desires are not the healthiest in the world. Instead, I need some of my desires to be replaced with better desires, which is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives, because we will not naturally do this on our own. What I believe is that there are people driving off cliffs all around us. Some of you in this room may be driving off a cliff right at this moment. And if we turn a blind eye, are we loving you as you go over the side? See, the idea that no one ever says anything hurtful, that's what it means to love. It's so false and untrue. Carry each other's burdens. But do it gently. Judge each other. But do it gently. Point out the faults of others. But do it gently. You see, when the world judges Christians who judge, when the church judges Christians who judge, we judge them not because they're judging. We judge them because they haven't done it gently. There's been no love. There's been no push for health. There's just been pushing you down and pointing a finger to say, I'm glad I'm not you. I'm not near as bad as you are. Because that's not true judging. That's not the goal. The goal is restoration. It's one of the reasons we've rejected this. It's one of the reasons that some of you are, will, will outright reject what I'm saying. I just know that's true. That's just the way it is. There have been times in my life I've absolutely rejected this kind of thinking. And the reason usually is because we have either seen it or done it hypocritically. As Don mentions with the log in our own eye. You shouldn't be doing that. Of course, I'm doing the exact same thing. But they, no one's watching me like well, I'm watching you. Hypocrisy kills restoration. 
And so if we are going to embrace this idea that we are our brother's keeper, then we also have to embrace the idea that the way we judge matters. It's important. It's what I would say a crucial difference. It's what really truly matters in these relationships. So how do we do this? Here's one truth that I know, and I'm still working on myself, and I probably will be until I die, but we cannot hold others accountable unless we are well aware of our own faults. See, there's so many people that they got a list. I can look you up and down, and I can tell you all your problems, and I am blind to my own, right? Aren't those fun, fun friends? It's fun to sit around the table with them because they never do anything wrong. And they tell you all the stuff that you do wrong. It's like God has put them here in this world to be the, the person who says, look, Mark, you are really screwed up. Thanks. I already knew that. It's always fun to know somebody who has no faults. Because there's always those people. They do exist in the church. They exist out of the church. They just exist in the world. But every person who believes they don't have faults is a person who has never reached any level of maturity. See, mature people don't stop having faults. Mature people recognize them and work through them. The idea that mature people don't have faults is a lie made up by immature people who want to stay that way. So when we begin to grow, we go, man, I'm screwed up. Right? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> That's the kind of look I'm getting. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Are we under, is this the sermon yet? <laughs> I don't know. This is crazy stuff. We can't hold others accountable unless we're well aware of our own faults. I think one of the funny things that's happening right now in our news, it's not funny. I don't, I don't mean to say this is funny. I mean hypocritical. One of the hypocritical things that are happening in our news is what's going on with ISIS. And I'm seeing so many Christians post on Facebook and all these other places how we're in a religious war and we need to eradicate Islam because Islam is the enemy. Well, let me be very clear. Those who practice Islam are not bound for heaven. They do not worship a God who brings restoration. They don't worship a Savior who can save them from their sin. So don't hear me say we're all in this worshiping the same God. It's not true. However, if we're going to say because we've got some extremists out there that are killing Christians, therefore it's a religious war and we should wipe out Islam, the only people who say that are people who have no idea what our Christian history really is. You see, if I grew up, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s like I did, you saw Christians bombing abortion clinics. Now, at that time, if for some of us, the mindset that we're now saying that we need to be at war with Islam, had we taken that same judgment and applied it to us, they should have eradicated all Christians because of some crazy people who bombed some abortion clinics. At the same time, if you go back, and I know the president's gotten all kinds of flack over this, the Crusades were not exactly one of our best moments. All right? That's right. It, it, it wasn't our best moment. Do I want to be held accountable for what they've done? Absolutely not. Do I want to be held accountable for the guy who bombed an abortion clinic? Absolutely not. Do I want to be responsible for what Westboro Baptist Church does? Absolutely not. 
So we judge rightly. We recognize our own faults. And we don't hold people accountable to a level that they cannot be held accountable. It's crazy what we're doing in the world when we don't recognize our own faults. See, the beginning of holding others accountable, leading them to a place of health, means that I recognize I've got problems too. And so I can only gently help you with your problems because I know within my life, I want people to help me gently deal with my problems. But if I don't have any problems, then I, don't, I miss that whole struggle in my mind, in my heart. We have to recognize our own faults. Humility is, quite honestly, the most difficult spiritual discipline to attain. It is the most difficult one to attain because it is the one that once we have reached it says, I'm dying to myself. And that is hard stuff. Anybody? Humility is tough. Because I come into the world wanting to be celebrated. Not wanting to celebrate others, but for me to be celebrated. But when we fail to act in humility, we will always act in hypocrisy. Humility is so crucial. See, this is the difference between someone with humility getting right in your face and getting right deep down into the issues that you're facing. There's a very different result than the person who has no humility. For me, it's the difference in listening and walking away. For you, no doubt, it's the exact same thing. You see, one of the reasons that we give people in our families more freedom to do this to us is because we typically, not always, but we typically act in more humility towards those we love than those we don't. And that's why it's easier to let family in. So why in the church, if we are brothers and sisters, don't we have that same humility towards each other? Now, some of us do. I mean, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to blanket statement say that none of us do. I'm just saying in the church at large, why is that, why are we not known for this? And we should be. One of the things that I, that I often hear is that you shouldn't judge. I've already said this, but, but Paul tells us that we should. Now, listen to this. It says in 1 Corinthians 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. In other words, there are Christians that do stuff that even people who don't love Jesus think, man, that's just crazy. What the world are you thinking? And yet Christians, because we oftentimes say, I've been bought with the blood of the Lamb. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a work in progress. And we say those things, but we don't believe them. We just say them because we want people to leave us alone. It's reported there's sexual immorality among you. Not even the pagans tolerate this. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. He's talking to the church, by the way. You are arrogant. How would you like that? Hey, I just wanted to get in touch and tell you guys that um, you are arrogant, man. <laughs> you know, how's that for a Skype session? How you doing? How are the kids? Man, you are arrogant. Be a short phone call, probably. Ought you not rather to mourn? 
Let him who has done this be removed from among you. That, that seems very harsh. Very harsh. How would we do that? For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, which is really harsh, by the way, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Because the purpose of judgment is what? Remember? Restoration, not punishment. We've gotten it backwards. We think judgment is about punishment. We have taken the, this idea of the law and courts and criminals and attorneys, and we have switched the idea of what God says judgment is supposed to be because God is not a God who wants to judge and hurt people. He's a God who wants to judge and restore people. That's his purpose. And if that's his purpose, that's our purpose. It's tough stuff, isn't it? But I love this, that he says this. I'm present in spirit. I have already pronounced judgment. Again, I ask you the question. If a person's about to drive off a cliff, do you stop them or do you pull over and film it? I mean, it's really that simple. It's that simple. In the church, we have to ask ourselves, is our goal to help lead people to restoration or is our goal to sit by and be entertained? Are we to be our brother's keeper? The fact is, we will all stumble because we are all fallible. But true friends don't enjoy our fall. We're all going to fall. I'm going to fall. You're going to fall. The people that I put on a pedestal that will never fall, will fall. They're all going to fall. We're all going to fall. We're fallible. I mean, that's just the way it is. We are not Jesus. I mean, we are fallible people. That's one of the reasons, as I shared with you in the last few weeks, that Scripture is here to help us adjust the way we act because there is a way to behave that leads to the pursuit of holiness, and there's a way that, to behave that leads to the pursuit of destruction. There's a way that seems right in our own eyes that leads to destruction. And one of the things that have been so beneficial for me, though not a one of the conversations felt good, are those that would speak into my life at times I needed to hear it. And you know what's worse? There are times God uses the people that I dislike the most to do it. And that really stinks. You know, those people that you've already discounted because of just their general nature, <laughs> they're just bad people. They've got nothing good to say. And then they say something, and I, the Holy Spirit, man, it can rear its head in such inopportune moments like those. And someone that I have very little regard for says something of absolute truth, and I know it's true, and I can't stand it because I don't like them, but they're right. Because God is not content to let me walk down a path of destruction. He's not content to do it for you question that we're going to have to address over these next few weeks are how do we work with god rather than work against what he's trying to do 
Because you can, in judging others, work against what God wants to do. So how do we work with him and lead to restoration and health instead of working against him and make somebody continue to stay in their own failure? How do we do that? I'm going to tell you, it's hard. Hard stuff. Luke 17 says this. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Let that soak in a little bit. Now, some of us have a theology that Jesus says, once you know me, you should not stumble ever. And if you do, you're not truly a Christian. There are people that believe that. There are people that have such a strict code of behavior that if you break any of these codes of behavior, you're out. You're done. You're not, you're not a Christian. And yet Jesus said, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Jesus, what are you talking about? I mean, it's going to happen. This is going to happen. But woe to anyone through whom they come. In other words, anyone that causes these things to happen, you are in big trouble. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than cause one of these little ones, little ones not just being children, little ones being anyone who is still young in their faith. A 90-year-old man can be a little one. Woe to anyone who causes these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. This is Jesus talking. Rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. It's going to happen. The purpose of rebuking is restoration. That's the purpose of this. Let me fin- I'm going to finish this up today. I'm, I'm getting on my own nerves this morning. <laughs> <clears throat> That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. All right. If you're going to take notes, I want you to write this down. <clears throat> true friends truly help each other. True friends truly help each other. See how I did? See what I did there? True and truly is cool, right? I thought it was. True friends truly help each other. So, you know, write that down and put that somewhere. As we go through this series, when you begin to have those natural feelings that go, I don't know about this. This is feeling really weird. True friends truly help each other. They truly help each other to see their errors. They truly help each other to experience conviction. Not because conviction is the goal, but because conviction is what leads us to restoration. True friends truly help each other to be restored. What true friends do. Those are the real relationships that you should value, that you should hold on to, that help you get through life. A few other things, because hypocrisy is such a danger in this whole topic. True friends hold each other close in love. It's been said, it's easier to hold someone accountable when you've held them close in love. True friends hold each other up 
in prayer and encouragement? See, if the first words anyone ever speaks with you is judgment, you will reject it outright. Anyone would. But if you've heard words of encouragement consistently before the words of judgment, you are much more likely to listen. That's one of the reasons that we are over and over to encourage one another, to help each other. And in many ways, it is our encouragement that opens the door to restorative judgment. But if we fail to encourage, then we may not have an ear when we see something truly destructive. We hold each other accountable to the straight and narrow. Because that's the path to life. And it's hard to stay on it alone. Now, this, this is some, some other things we're going to talk about. There are some challenges to these kinds of relationships. If you want these kind of friendships and these kind of relationships, there's some challenges we're going to have to talk through over these next few weeks. There's some challenges we're going to have to deal with in our own hearts as we try to understand what is our role in this. One of that is that the path to humility is difficult. I've already shared that. It's so true, and you know that it's true. The path to humility is difficult. You have to get to humility before you can truly restoratively judge someone. You have to become that person who recognizes their faults, and it's tough. And if you are unwilling to walk the path of humility, please, please, please don't walk the path of judgment. You, You can't be there yet. Another one is this, and I, this, this is one of the things that I struggle with. It's one of the reasons we put elders in place. It's one of the reasons that we need accountability within the church. And that is that submission is a painful concept. See, the only people that submission is painful for are those that have to submit. For those that are being submitted to, not so painful. I like the idea of submission. Oh, you do it, I say. That's cool. And, you know, some of you got bosses, they love submission, just not their own, right? Submission is a painful concept. When we begin to embrace the idea that I am my brother's keeper, we have to understand that, that we are asking them to also submit to our wisdom and discernment. And that is painful. And if we expect it to be anything but painful, then we are fooling ourselves and everybody else. Submission is a painful concept. But this is where repentance is the core of our faith. When Jesus began teaching, he said, I am here with a message of repentance. That's why John the Baptist said, there's another one coming. But for now, repent. His time is here. Because repentance means submission. That's why there are so many people in the church that don't know Jesus is because they never came to the place of willing to truly submit. Because submission is painful. Because I want to be celebrated. I don't want to submit. Another one, how we judge is as important as what we judge. How we do it is as important as what we do. And one that we're really going to hit hard toward the end of this series. The rules are completely different for people who don't know Jesus. They're completely different for people who don't know Jesus. 
See, one of the ways that the church has fallen into this false idea that we should never judge is because we began judging people who never said they believe the things we believe. We held them accountable to a standard they never held themselves accountable to, and we look silly doing it. If they have not said they want to know Jesus, we've got no right to tell them, well, you're being a bad Christian. Well, I'm not a Christian. You know, it's like that simple, right? It's craziness what we tend to do in the world. Can you believe that person who's an atheist, that film that they made? Well, that's just kind of the way it works. <laughs> you know? But this is going to be crucial, folks. This is a crucial, crucial, crucial component. People who don't know Jesus are not held to the same standard by us the people who say they do. Now, I will tell you this, and this has been probably one of the harder lessons that I've learned over doing Journey in particular. I have learned that there is a group of people, they love being the in-the-middle group. I'm not really buying in yet. But man, I'm so close. Just keep loving me. But don't hold me accountable. Just keep loving me. I'm loving this stuff here. But, you know, I'm just, I'm just not there yet. I, you just, you know, I've had so many bad experiences, so many bad Christians out there that have treated me badly. But I'm really, really close. And I'm going to tell you that is a lie. That is a lie. And it's taken me a long time to see that. Because I want to believe, yeah, we're making a difference. We're making a difference. We're really reaching those people. We're the, we're the good kind of Christian. And yet what's really going on behind the scenes is they're not ready to submit. So they're going to say they're close because they enjoy the love and community, but they don't want to be held accountable and they don't want to invest in anything. And so I just stay here. I'm close. They've learned us. They've learned what we want to hear, and they give us what we want to hear, never truly experiencing life-changing revolution through Christ. Now, our goal is not then to go and bludgeon them for it, but we do recognize how we invest in those that are comfortable being on the fringe, never truly wanting to submit to Christ. You've got to be careful about that. There are people that love being in that place. There are people that have heard the gospel and can, can recite it better than anyone in the church that has never bowed their knee to Christ because they don't want to be held accountable to those things. And it's a hard lesson. It's been a hard lesson for me. We don't stop loving them. But at some point we recognize, you know, you may not have accepted Christ, but you basically know everything that you need to know at this point. And if you're not going to do it, that's, you're choosing that. It has nothing to do with how anyone else ever treated you. You're choosing this. And we have to recognize that there are others that need to know. Others we need to reach out to. Let me just close with this. Let me, well, let me close with a few things. Not, not a few things. Some of you are thinking, I'm ready for lunch. But I, not really a lot, but... Let me ask you to help us in this. Number, number one, Luke 17, 1 says, Jesus himself, which is fairly important, said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. They're going to come. They're going to happen. If you are a person who is breathing today, things that are going to cause you to stumble are going to come. They're going to come. They're going to be there. It's going to happen. Some of you, they're happening right now. Some of you, they're going to happen tomorrow. And for some of you, they've been happening for a long time. I mean, you... You grasp this concept. 
So as we enter into this, let's be very aware of our own faults. What I would like for us to do in these next five weeks is not to target anybody with our newfound freedom to judge. But let's just target ourselves for the next five weeks. Can we do that? Let me also ask you that I'm going to be teaching during this series. Scott's going to be teaching during this series. And so is Stacy. And I would ask you to pray for the three of us because this is such a sensitive, sensitive issue and topic. And I do not, none of us want to handle this wrong. It could be very destructive. So pray. Because what the enemy would love to happen is for someone speaking to misspeak. Because that's how the enemy works. So pray. Because humility is not just a follower's position. It's also a leader's position. Because we are all ultimately followers. So pray for us. Let's be very aware of our own faults. If we begin to see faults in the lives of others, let's be very careful and how we handle them. And some of what we're going to do is we're going to actually talk about, so what happens when you see these things? Then what? We're actually going to talk about how, what, how do we handle it? And I'm going to be sharing with you what does it look like to be a worthy mentor? Because there are people out there raising their hands, jumping up and down, saying, follow me, do my thing, follow my example. And what I've learned is most people who jump up and down saying, I want to be your mentor, are the last people you need to let be your mentor. So we're going to talk about how do we handle this, but how do we be this? Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Every one of them. Let's help them up instead of letting them flounder. But this is the this is again. I want you to write this down. I really do. Take take a picture of it on you version. Whatever. I don't care. But true friends truly help each other. I want you to really let that marinate. That just settle on you. Settle over your soul for a while. True friends truly help each other. What does it really mean to truly help each other? So at the end of this, I think I've made my intention clear. I believe we are each other's brother's keeper. I am your keeper and you are mine. And we do that motivated by love and care for each other. And when I'm motivated by love and care, the last thing I'm going to do is try to put you into a place of pain unnecessarily. Unless I believe that the path you're on will result in more pain than my confrontation. True friends truly help each other. So I hope that we can, in these next few weeks, handle this with humility. I hope that we can handle this in an in a, a, uh, atmosphere of submission. Uh, not that you're submitting to me or anyone else, but we're submitting to the teachings of Christ. And that at the end of the day, we won't be known as people who judge but we will be known as people who lead others to restoration. Because that's the goal. It's 
the hope. That's the purpose. Personally, those who have helped me on a path of restoration have the most value in my life and they have the loudest voice in my life. Those who judge just to make me feel bad and make themselves feel better have no voice in my life. I say that. still makes me mad, hurts my feelings. But they don't get a voice. Those who lead to restoration, boy, they're, the, they're keepers. And they make a real difference. For some of you today, as we close out, I'm going to let Richard and Wendy and Tracy come back up here. For some of you, you feel right now that you are one, that you've been judged every way that you can be, and you are still feeling some of those fresh pains. And I want to tell you this, I, I, I can't speak to what you've experienced in life. But I can tell you that we serve a God who wants to restore and heal and bring you to a place that you will love being in. Don't let those things keep you. No matter what we've experienced in life, Jesus has something better. Pray with me. Father, God, I thank you for the opportunity to speak. God, I pray that you would help us to speak in humility, that we would be in submission to you just as we ask others to be in submission to you as well. Father, it is so difficult to be anyone's keeper, our own, anyone else's. So I pray for those who have grown and have a voice that can lead to restoring others, God, that that, those voices will be used in a very healthy way. God, I pray that you would begin to teach us and move us counter to what our culture says in the direction that you want to see happen in this world. God, we may not be able to change the whole world, but we may be able to change the world for someone. Help us to do that. Father, I pray as we worship, we will worship in humility because you are God and we are not. Your will is what is worthy. Ours is not. God, I thank you that you've given us the opportunity to repent before you. And to worship you instead of ourselves. So hear our worship and change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.